What's up, Raz Report listeners? This is Jason Raznick. I am here in Royal Oak, Michigan with Agri Realty CEO Joey Agri. Agri Realty is a public company, symbol ADC. A is an alpha, D is in dog, C is in Charlie. This is a, an amazing company in the retail tenant space. Wait till you hear the story. Tune in now. Remember, Benzinga is the place to level the playing field. I thought it was unfair that people on Wall Street had an advantage over Main Street. So we built Benzinga to be by the people, for the people. So if you're an investor in the stock market and you want to learn more, join Benzinga. Read and watch our podcast. Thank you. Excited at this edition of the Raz Report to have Agri Realty CEO, Joey Agri. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. So your company is one of the fastest growing in the REIT space. You guys have innovated. You've, um, you know, you, you, non-e-commerce type businesses. What do you mean by that? When you guys, you guys look for companies that don't just, that are e-commerce independent. What do you mean by that? We started the acquisition platform we launched in 2010 with two core principles. One was non-discretionary goods, so avoidance of luxury, so core brick and mortar staples, right? Second was what we called at the time in 2010 e-commerce resistant. Today resistant. we've morphed that because very few things besides getting your hair cut are probably e-commerce resistant today into what we call brick and mortar omni-channel critical. So we see the future of retail, and you can see it when you go to stores with buy online, pick up in store, micro-fulfillment, exterior lockers, click and collect. We see brick and mortar retail as being part of an overall omni-channel future, and so today we call that brick and mortar critical in that omni-channel future. Okay, and so in the last two years, many companies held back and didn't develop. You guys bought, it was like, over a thousand properties in the last two years, um, approximately. Well, you went from about sixteen point three million square feet to over thirty-eight million square feet in the last three years. Yep. I guess my question is, how? Like, how do you how do you do that? It, it, so like, our, our space is huge. It's fragmented. Net lease retail specifically is the oldest retail space in the country. People used to take their horse and buggy to the corner store. It's the most fragmented space in the country, and it's also the largest retail space in the country. And so when I say fragmented, fragmented in terms of ownership. So if you think about the biggest and best retailers in this country, nine out of the 10 will be freestanding retailers. On the large format size, Walmart, Target, Costco, Home Depot, Lowe's, 200 plus or minus 1,000 square foot boxes. All the way in the middle this morning, Aldi, which announced it's buying Winn-Dixie and Harvey's supermarkets, Tractor Supply, the dominant grocers, Wegmans, HEB, Publix, you know, we're calling, you know, to call 20 to 60,000 square feet, all the way down to the small kiosks almost. So Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, you know, two to 4,000 square feet. So if you think about the best retailers in the country, their destinations into themselves. And so what we do in that large and fragmented space is we're aggregating across the spectrum from individual owners, senior citizens, all the way to private ownership to institutional owners, inclusive of our retail partners where we'll do sale leasebacks occasionally as well. So for people that don't understand the business, by the way, it's public stock, ADC is a symbol, A is an alpha, D is in dog, C is in Charlie. For people that don't understand, a question I got was, why do they just do retail? Why don't they do apartment buildings, multifamily? I know the answer, yeah. but will you explain to the average person why, why it's, it's, it's a retail focus and explain that whole triple net lease concept? Okay, that's our core competency. 
We invest specifically in what we call our sandbox, the top 30 to 35 retailers in this country that have the balance sheets, the liquidity profiles, and the value propositions to be successful in the 21st century. And we don't even get out of that. So I, I, tell, I, I tell investors or potential investors in indirect securities like Agri Realty or other REITs, pick the best management team in their core competency. I know nothing about apartments. This team that we've built here, our systems are catered toward retail net lease. Industrial is not our core competency. So it goes to the, the, the hedgehog concept. You can go to Jim Collins, do what you're best at. What we're best at is we built the team that we think is the best, has the greatest expertise in retail net lease. And so that's what we focus on. If people want exposure to industrial real estate or apartments or other types of asset classes, I always encourage investors, go find the best management team that knows that space the best. Go find those experts and invest with them. But um, to us, diversification is in three forms. One, tenant diversity. Walmart is our largest tenant today at just over 6.5% of rental revenues. We're their largest retail landlord in the country. Two, sector or line of trade diversity. Grocery is our largest at approximately 10% of the portfolio. And then three, geographic diversity. We recently added Alaska. We're in 49 states across the country. And so there's embedded diversity and quality in that portfolio. I've never seen diversity as getting into different types of asset classes. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a REIT as diverse as you guys, and you've done that over the last 10, 15 years. Speaking with that, so use the Walmart example. Why would Walmart go to Agri, or you guys go to them and do a, like a net lease versus them just buying their own property and dealing with the taxes and all that stuff. Yeah. Walmart owns a vast majority of their real estate. They have thousands of stores. There are hundreds, if not a thousand stores that they don't own that are currently under lease for various reasons, right? Maybe they weren't able to, maybe they weren't able to purchase the property and develop on their own. Maybe they took subject to a different lease, bought a lease out of bankruptcy. We have a Sam's Club that used to be a, a Pace warehouse. That was Kmart's uh, old membership club back in the day in Ohio. There are different instances and different transactions manifest in different ways, but Walmart owns the majority of their real estate, but again, there are thousands of stores. But couldn't Walmart, so if they own a majority of their real estate, could they free up liquidity by going to someone like Certainly. you and say um, that, you know, hey, would you buy these properties? Is that something that these retailers do? Yeah, so just in the last couple of years, we've done sale leaseback transactions by freeing up liquidity with Kroger. We've done it with Sherwin-Williams. We've done it with Goodyear. We've done it with Gerber Collision and amongst a number of other retailers. It's a really a capital allocation and cost of capital decision for those retailers. Now, many of, many of the listeners here may re remember when Bill Ackman pushed Target to spin off their real estate. And Target said, no, we don't want to spin off and sell our real estate. We want to maintain control and maintain occupancy costs control over the vast majority of real estate. Now, we own a few targets across the country as well, including the University of Georgia's uh, campus and a couple other campus stores. But again, it's, a, it's really a capital allocation decision for the retailers and a cost of capital game. I mean, no one has cheaper cost of capital than Walmart at the end of the day, probably. Yeah, and, but that's also one of your advantages. I mean, you have competitors, but you guys being a public company, your liquidity, um, well, where is your liquidity at? I remember reading in the billions, but where, where are you guys at on that? Yeah, we ended Q2, we just reported with over 1.3 billion in liquidity. We did a $350 million, five and a half year term loan that matures in 2029. We had over a couple hundred million dollars of forward equity. Our balance sheet stood at five times coverage, so fixed charge coverage of five times. We're triple B, or triple B rated S&P, BAA1, the equivalent of triple B plus with Moody's. 
Um, and so the balance sheet is rock solid. It's the, you know, it is the foundation of this company. And we're always acquiring, we're always investing capital. And so positioning that balance sheet is critical. So when a big retailer is looking to do a deal or a back, you're one of the names, I mean, you're predominant, like you're one of the biggest names they're going to call, I'm assuming. Correct. And so um, with, you know, you guys are always looking to buy, acquire, sell, lease back. Do you guys ever sell properties? Yeah, over the last several years, we've sold, call it a few hundred million dollars, really to reduce exposure to retailers that we didn't think were on that forefront of omni-channel, brick and mortar critical. We've reduced exposure to Walgreens. We've reduced exposure to LA Fitness. We've reduced exposure to franchise restaurants when private equity got in the space. We reduce exposure to car washes. And so we'll, we'll, we're always reviewing the portfolio. There's over 2,000 properties in the portfolio looking for opportunities either to accretively recycle capital or to, to frankly reduce risk because of tenant credit or underlying real estate risk. So when you sell a property, do you sell it back to like the car wash or do you sell it to another? Generally 1031 buyers, third-party purchasers. Got it. And then you mentioned something about you reduce risk by PE-backed restaurants. Correct. How do you look at PE-backed companies with this, this space? Yeah, we, look, we've spoken extensively about it. We're, we're, we're generally extremely adverse to, frankly, private equity sponsorship in the retail space. Today, a retailer, to be successful, needs the balance sheet and liquidity to invest in critical aspects of their business. One, fulfillment. Whether it's micro-fulfillment, Kroger Ocado, Macro fulfillment with Walmart with their automated distribution centers, or like Amazon, obviously, as everyone's aware. That is extremely expensive. There's no right permutation. No one knows the correct answer yet today. So it's expensive. It's still experimental trying to figure out how to drive EBITDA. Two, retailers have to invest in labor. We know where labor rates have gone in this country. We know the best retailers pay their associates at the upper rank, up the upper end of that range. And so if you go to Tractor Supply or you go to Chick-fil-A or you go to Starbucks or Costco, those companies will tell you that the associates that work in those stores are also their customers. They're one and the same. And so you have to invest in labor. And then three, you have to invest in price. I mean, I've said it over and over again, but today this is a price transparent world where the consumer has full transparency and leverage. Right? The days of walking to one end of the mall to price check and then the other end, a half mile to see what the price is at somewhere else, and then going back if it was cheaper at the first place, yeah. that's long gone. We all know how long it takes, about 30 seconds on your iPhone today, and if you want it delivered next day, Amazon will probably do it for free. And so today, those three things, investing in price, investing in labor, and investing in that e-commerce fulfillment future, whether it's to the store or to people's driveways or houses, is a very expensive proposition. It's in a highly competitive world, not just retail, all industries. So when you see PE get involved, yeah. are they the ones who are like trying to cut costs and lower salaries for employees? Is that why, for like, is that why PE can be scary in that regard? Well, I think historically private equity has levered up the balance sheet. We're in a rising interest rate environment, obviously today, where it, it, it again it, it impairs liquidity, and so private equity through through dividends, through special dividends, and leverage saps the cash out of these companies and the liquidity out of these companies to reinvest in those three aspects. And inherently, private equity's life is five to seven years investment. And so they're not in there for perpetuity. When we buy a property, unless and until something happens with that credit, with that real estate, with that market or the demographics of that market, we assume we're going to own it into perpetuity. So, yeah, so ADC doesn't want to take on risky 
leases, risky tenants, you guys are looking for safe and diversified. That's a We're looking for safe and the best tenants in the business in our sandbox. And then we're looking at the underlying residual, the value of that real estate, the fungibility of that box. I encourage all viewers to watch, look at our website and the white papers that we have on the first page, just scroll down. The value of that residual, at the end of the day, if that tenant leaves, or whether they go bankrupt, they don't exercise an option, we're left with, that, we're left with a rectangle. And the, the residual of that rectangle is driven by the fungibility of that box plus the market sub-factors and the demographics. And so a car wash at the end of the day is a car wash. It's a 130-foot, maybe 120-foot tunnel. At the end of the day, there's one other thing you can do with that building, wash cars. A 6,000-square-foot O'Reilly, where their largest landlord, I believe, in the country, or uh, AutoZone, is a 6,000, 7,000-square-foot rectangle with a vinyl floor or maybe polished concrete floors, ADA-compliant restrooms on a major thoroughfare, easily released, right, to multiple different types and different types of tenants and different types of sectors. And so, again, net lease investing is about not only understanding the security of the cash flow during the lease, but then looking at the residual and saying, what is my true terminal value here? What is the demand if and when that tenant leaves? If it's a tunnel, if it's a car wash, it's a car wash. If it's a top golf, it's a, th it's a golf operator, right? Yep. So what we, we call those asymmetric boxes, which we generally don't invest in. It's very interesting because people listening, like you think, oh, car wash, they're going to be there for a while. But your point is if that goes out of business, you don't have many other uses. And then car wash. A car wash. Another car wash. Another car wash. Joey and Jason's car wash. There. We can open it up. There you go. Another thing you guys don't do, and I don't think you do it, you see some um, strip centers or what have you have a lot of vacancy. You guys aren't in the business of acquiring strip centers that are vacant and redevelop it and make it into some, something else. But nope. I think we should talk about this for a second because I think some people think, oh, real estate, oh, I see, oh, vacancy, oh, you know, how does Agri Realty play into that? Will you explain why that is not part of your business? Yeah, we're 99.7% occupied. That doesn't include anything that's we're negotiating a lease so they haven't taken possession today. So we're 99.7% occupied in over 2,000 properties across the country with a weighted average lease duration of close to nine years, exclusive of options. And so the core essence of this business is investing in the best retailers with real estate that has the residuals we talked about, that pro provides for consistency and predictability in terms of cash flows and earnings, that drives to a dividend for investors at the end of the day that is growing. And so vacancy, small tenant space, churning and leasing, that's the epitome, that's the, frankly the opposite of what we do. We're investing in stable long-term cash flows with, with underlying real estate that we think long-term value. Yeah, some may say it's boring, but it's, it's consistent. You're not, doing, you're, you're not going up and down, up and down. No. You're consistent. And for people that want consistent company with dividends, because you guys switch to a monthly dividend, and I'm an investor and been for 20 years, but it's, it's just consistent. You're, you're stable companies and you're diversified. Why did you switch to a monthly dividend, which I appreciate, but why? Yeah, we switched at the beginning of last year, frankly, because there was no costs. There was no economic costs. It was de minimis, a few thousand dollars to administer. And second, there, there, was, there was truly no inherent additional labor cost to do so internally. And so we said to ourselves, we get rent checks monthly. We have investors that wait quarterly. Why not just put them peri-passu? Get rent checks, pay our investors on a monthly basis. 
And so individual investors, I enjoy it, honestly. Individual investors get their money on a monthly basis. It's compounding. They have access to that cash flow. Yep. Many of our investors, many of our shareholders, frankly, live off of that capital. Right? They live off of that monthly dividend. And so there really was no downside to turn flipping to a monthly dividend. It wasn't expensive for us. It didn't take time, energy, or effort from the team here. And shareholders appreciate it. So it's a, it's a change we made at the beginning of last year. Secondly, it gives the company more flexibility to adjust or increase the dividend on a more frequent basis. So historically, we've been on a Q2, Q4 run rate of, of dividend increases. We always talk about the transparency and the visibility for shareholders being critical of the dividend. But it gives us the ability to raise it more frequently or look at it more frequently as well, rather monthly rather than quarterly. Yeah, and um, before coming to this interview, someone who doesn't understand the REIT space or what have you, asked me, well, what if they stop their dividend? And I know you're, you're REIT, you have to, uh, will you explain how the dividend works? Sure. So REITs, by definition, by the tax code, have to pay out 90% of tax bill income to maintain REIT compliance. So that's in the tax code. Most REITs pay out over 100% of taxable income, otherwise there'd be double taxation at the corporate level and then at the individual level because REITs are passed through entities, right? And so not paying 100% out means there's going to be double taxation on something. Okay. And so most REITs, if not all, avoid double taxation by paying out over 100%. Today, our AFFO payout ratio, which is really a cash payout ratio, our stated range is 75 to 85% of AFFO. We're at 74, 75, the bottom end or just lower than that range. In anticipation is, again, with transparency, to Q2 and Q4 upcoming of raise. And so the dividend is uh, extremely safe. We have nearly have 80 to $90 million in free cash flow after the dividend this year. It's backed by the biggest retailers in the world who are going to be paying rent. And it's critical to us that we continue to raise it on a consistent and methodical basis. The extra cash flow you have, do you use that to pay down debt or do you use that to uh, fortify the balance sheet and keep for more deals? Both in here, like cap, right? capital is obviously liquid. We'll, we'll reinvest it. It's our cheapest form of capital. Yep. The remainder of capital for REITs that are growing is externally raised through common equity, debt, preferred, which yep. we issued a few years ago, a preferred you know, a preferred issuance. Yep. Um, it's coming through raising external capital. And so that's the cheapest form of capital we have. Um, but look, the dividend is well covered. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's There's no risk of not paying the dividend. And what I like with the dividend, you can choose to take the cash or you can choose to have it buy more shares. It's automatically in your yep. system. You have to choose. Um, we're going to get to a, ma a couple macro questions where you see things going. Um, but when, when you talk about um, e-commerce resistant uh, businesses, the Walmarts of the world, um, are there other business like golf, Top Golf is e-commerce resistant, arguably, but you wouldn't necessarily do a deal for that because it's about asymmetric use. Is that so? Net lease investing is very similar to fixed income investing, right? And so, at the end of the day, a fixed income investor knows what they're going to get the, at the end of that bond that they buy at that fixed income instrument. They're going to get their principal back unless there's a default, right? So you buy a 10-year U.S. Yep. government bond that pays 4.2% or whatever it is this morning, at the end of 10 years, you get your principal back. Net leased investment is, is, is not dissimilar, except that there is no principal repayment upon the 10-year of the maturity. At the end of the, the art and the science of net leased investing is understand what that residual is of that real estate, that it will appreciate over time and you'll be able to release it Rather than getting it principal back, you'd be able to release it at higher rates uh. because of the demand. Again, going to a Top Golf. If a Top Golf, it's a lot of fun, 
right? Everybody enjoys it. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, if Topgolf goes out of business, what is that potential demand? It's another operator of a golf entertainment venue. We specifically don't invest in entertainment venues generally, right? They're generally single purpose in nature. They have credits that aren't you know, very strong. They're not rated credits. They're not balance sheets with billions of dollars of liquidity and buffers. And so we generally just don't invest there. Again, we're focused on Walmart, Tracker Supply, Dollar General, CVS, TJ Maxx, AutoZone, yep. O'Reilly, Target, Costco, Home Depot, Lowe's, the biggest retailers selling those non-discretionary items. Topgolf is discretionary. Non-discretionary critical goods and services that, frankly, whether or not there's a recession, it doesn't matter. Because yep. people need to eat. People need to buy clothes, right? Not expensive yep. luxury clothes. Hence why we're so, uh, frankly, have so many TJXs in our portfolio. Yeah, and, and entertainment venues, they go in with the season or go out. Like they're, they're more, and so they there, are, there are people that do net leases with them, but they're, it's more risky credit, I would assume. It's, it's, it's generally, yes, it's more risky. You can get higher interim rates of return, right? Higher cap rates on those. But again, looking at the residual and the credit profile of those, you have a greater risk of default during, those, during that lease, and you also have residual risk. We don't think that's risk-adjusted risk appropriate. Okay, two more questions on the company, then we're going to go to macro. So one more is... How do you guys go about, I know there's some signs to it at this point, how do you go about finding an investment or picking, look, I get when there's a sale, lease back deal, but how do you guys go about seeking the areas you want to be in? Do you do it by a regional thing or how do you go about that whole process of buying a property? If someone wants to sell a property to you, how do they do it? There you go. There you go. Uh, We've got a great acquisition team that's regionally broken up by east and west regions, supported by analysts and transactions, diligence and legal teams. Um, and so the origination team is at the tip of the spear. They're evaluating, underwriting, sourcing opportunities at all times. The analyst team is always underwriting them. And we're horizontally integrated with a team of 25, 30 people. We averaged 71 days from letter of intent to execution to close. Last year, we acquired 400, I believe, properties. Last quarter, I think, was 92 properties, just acquisitions so, alone, not development, not our development so funding So 400 solutions. last year, there's 365 days in a year. And then you got weekends, so say 200 business days. So you acquired more than basically two, about two properties a day. Assume there's one closing now. I mean, that's just crazy. Like, do you review every single one? Personally, I approve every done. You approve every single one. Correct. So, and you like look at the numbers and underwrite it yourself, and you do your own. You have your. I don't, I don't underwrite it all myself. But <laughs> but yeah, the team. But you look at the numbers. You look at the NOI, like the. Stuff. I chair investment committee where all go no go decisions are. Um, where all go no. Go no go no go decisions are made for all investments. So you're always on in the sense that if you're closing that many deals, you have to be checking this pretty constantly. And you- we have great systems and processes, a great team. Once the approval is made, that it moves through yeah, yeah. Our, our our proprietary database, Arc, all tracked with KPIs and turn times. And what, and by the way, what is Arc? Arc's a proprietary database that we've built that manages every single functional operation of the real estate businesses here that we that we, we do. And that's why you're so systematic and can scale that way. Uh, we couldn't have done it without it. There's okay. no way you can close on 400 properties in an Excel spreadsheet. That doesn't work. And so every single property has its own dashboard, green, yellow, red for all the milestones on track, is measured through KPIs. Um, and then, frankly, it goes to individual and team compensation. That's amazing. So this ARC thing, how long ago did you create it? 
Arc was originally drawn on a piece of paper seven years ago. Did you draw this? I did. Okay. Um, seven years ago, originally the first iteration was in Excel. Then it migrated to a, which was manual. Again, we were a much smaller company, not acquiring yep. anywhere near investing anywhere near the amount of capital. Like seven years ago, how many properties were you acquiring a year? It's a good question. Probably twenty to fifty. Okay, for fifty, maybe forty. Okay, so it was written on a piece of paper. I separate everything into pre and post COVID, so it's difficult oh. for me to remember pre COVID. Yeah. Um, look, the, the the portfolio is doubled in three years. Um, I'd have to go back to twenty sixteen and check the uh, check the record books. And the, when, even before the doubling three years, you would think most companies growing so fast, oh, they're making some, you know, frivolous or bad acquisitions, but all these deals have been net positives. Your balance sheet is never stronger. And the banks are, are like coming to you big time to give you guys money because you guys are doing such an amazing job. And would you say ARC is a, one of the core tenants of how you were able to scale like this? It would have been impossible to scale without ARC. Wow. The timing of our coming online through today, the backbone and the infrastructure, the critical infrastructure that's frankly over my head, coming online just before COVID hit when this company hockey sticked, yeah, um, couldn't have been more fortuitous. Yeah, because by no means did we predict COVID. It yeah. happened to come online with the MySQL bit backbone and critical infrastructure just you know in the six twelve months before COVID hit. Without it, especially with everybody working remote, it would have been impossible. Well, because you can make an argument, people would think um, COVID would, would kill you or hurt your business. And it, you guys shine through it. The next question is, this is more of a fun question. Um, when, these, when tenants pay you, I'm assuming a lot of them like do wires or EF, whatever. Like, do people send checks in the mail to you guys ever? I think there's still a few that go to the Dropbox. We've moved to a digital payable system. From we try to encourage most not only tenants, but when we pay vendors as well, to a digital payable system today, which uses everything from a virtual card um, through that system, through all different types of payables. Um, but we've tried to eliminate. We've gone on a real push. We've invested millions of dollars in technology over the last few years. We're benefiting from it today. I spoke to it on the earnings call as a function of GNA as a percent of revenue. I mean, we anticipate GNA percent of revenue this year contracting another 60 to 70 basis points, which wow. is really a large leap, and cracking probably 6% of total revenues. For, for context, in the mid-2010s, called 2013-14, we were probably 14, 15% of revenue. So that efficiency has, been, has really taken off through the installation of, of MRI, which is our new ERP system, as well as ARC and artificial intelligence. So we're extracting, we used to have team members here that were abstracting leases, 400 a year, inputting them into our ERP system manually um, all day, right? Hundreds of them a year. Today we have an AI solution that's abstracting all those leases then zipping them into our ERP system. Today it eliminated those positions and recalibrated that GNA, that time, effort, energy, and capital to the tip of the spear, to finding opportunities and sorting through the myriad of opportunities we're seeing. That's amazing. And when you look for a new property or someone, come, sell, uh, someone comes to you guys to buy it, your analysts look at it, do they put it in ARC and then you can go look in or yeah. a senior leader can go on your team and see, here are pending things to look at and it's all in this, this system and it's all in one place? Everything is in ARC. That's amazing. So at any given time, we have approximately 100 transactions going through the pipeline. Acquisitions, development, or what we call our development funding platform, 
dispositions all going through ARC so you can get a snapshot down to the property level all the way to the pro forma, again, 30, 60, 90, 180 days out, where our exposure goes to any tenant, to any sector, inclusive of all of that external activity, where that migrates to, and then all gets pushed into ARC, and the underwritings are all embedded in ARC, and all dynamic and click-through. I mean, this may be a big step. If you believe in America and the growth of you know, companies that are um, you know, dependent items you'd get at stores, Agree's behind it. Like you probably go into stores all the time in a sense, and you guys are the the landlord to it. Like you're going into an AutoZone or whatever. You guys are O'Reilly's. You're the landlord to a lot of these places. I tell everybody the best the best way to tell if a retailer is successful is just walk the store. If you walk through a store and things are a mess and there's no store associate to help you, and the functioning store is not good at their core brick and mortar retail business, you have a problem. So we're constantly walking stores that we own as well as new and existing concepts to understand how that store is performing and how the operations are performing. Would you ever do like a Macy's, a department store? No. Okay. We don't do general merchants that don't sell food, right? So if you look at where retail is going today, right? if you look at where retail is going today, a general merchant that does not sell food and have food as the driver like Walmart does, like Costco does, um, today is a very difficult place to be whether you're selling soft or hard goods. So if you're a general merchandiser, i.e. Macy's, i.e. department stores, i.e. Kohl's, it's a very different, it's a very different paradigm today. But I go to Costco to like still buy, I don't know, like school supplies, chair, chairs sometimes, not necessarily food, but you're saying that there's other options for that. Costco is probably the best retailer in the country today. Okay. They are probably the best merchant in the country. If you walk around there, there's a surprise around every corner. Yep. Um, if you think today about the grocery landscape, we have three of the largest retailers in this country that don't care if they make money over under, by groceries. Grocery historically is a 2% margin business. It's a very low margin business. Today you have Walmart who use groceries as a leader, right? Walmart Supercenter. People buy groceries and then they buy the soft and hard goods, which have higher margin. You have Costco that doesn't make money on food. They make money on memberships. Got it. Costco's business selling memberships. And you have Amazon today that makes money by AWS and advertising. And so to compete, again, all they announced this morning, they're buying Winn-Dixie. is a huge move um, this morning. 400 stores in the southeast. Scale, scale, scale. Does that affect your business? No, we're a huge Aldi fan. I've always been a huge Aldi fan. I think their value proposition is, is absolutely tremendous. Got it. And then um, we're going to go to your core values in one second. But with this company, if people are looking for like investments that cash flow every year and make money, you guys, that's your business. You guys know how to find properties. You guys know how to do deals. And you know how to work with the tenants to make them, you know, and you're going to close in 71 days. I don't think there's many other companies in the world that can close as fast as you guys, not only because you have you know, credit lines, but you're a public company, ADC. And being a public company gives you access to different capital structures that 90% of your competitors just don't have. Is that accurate? So uh, I would tell so you more than 90% of our competitors don't have. We just closed and announced on a five and a half year unsecured term loan for $350 million, fully swapped at four and a half percent. It's market leading. I don't think any other REIT in this space, let alone investors, uh, have access so, to that so, today. So, so my point is, 
It's like you're going to get the A list. You're it's like almost like you can cherry pick on the be, on the best deals because they're going to come to you. Right. The best deals aren't going to go to the third rate. You know, if you're no. playing in the NBA, you're not going to go. You know, scrimmage with the minor league team. You're going to scrimmage with the NBA team, and right. that's where you're at. You're going to get the A list deals because you're the easiest to close and you have the best capital structure. Okay, so now before two macro questions, just I know core values are important to Agri. And it's been part of the lifeblood of the, you know, growing the company. You don't need to list them, but like, what are like some core values that you think have helped grow this company the way it has grown? I, I know that they're important to you for team members, et cetera. Look, growing up on a shopping center site with my father and now being an eight plus billion dollar public institution is a REIT, right? It's a large dichotomy. Wait, wait what was, when you took over a CEO, what was your um, value? Do you remember? Uh, just over 200 million. And you're over eight hundred, over eight billion now. Correct. I don't think people realize that. But go ahead. So I, I think the, it's crazy. Our core values are driven by the entrepreneurial spirit that that literally it takes to be a successful real estate entrepreneur in this country. There are real estate institutions out there, the Blackstones of the world, right? There are multi-billion-dollar institutions out there that um, that trade real estate. It's almost like a game of monopoly. They're macro trades, they're trades on population growth and densities, they're trades on different sectors. They'll, they'll do what you talked about earlier. They'll, they'll invest in apartments in the Sun Belt yeah. and they'll pivot to industrial. Um, what drives this company is the entrepreneurial spirit. One of our core values is greatness requires grit. Another one is brick by brick. We're not making macro global trades here. We're building a portfolio average price point of just under $5 million 400 transactions a year here. Brick by brick, we're building a portfolio. So our core values, our culture is centered around, frankly, is centered around the entrepreneurial spirit of what 99% of real estate is in this country, right? It, it is individuals or small companies that are out there trying to create value. And I remind the, the, the associates, the analysts here all the time is, we're not, just because we're an $8 billion company, Today, that doesn't mean our DNA is going to change. We start at the ground. We get in the dirt. We roll our sleeves up. There's there's nothing here that's uh, underneath or beneath our uh, what, what, you know our, our roles or responsibilities. Yeah, ab absolutely. And for your like, how early do you get like like what's your work like in the morning? Do you get up and is it checking email? Like how, what's your you know like how your you, grit? You're talking about grit. I know you're a grinder and you work your butt off. And investors should be happy to know that they have a leadership team in Agri that is doing that. But what is like that structure, a little bit of it? Is it phone calls? Is it it's basically 24-7. Look, I've got two boys, 10 and 12. They take a lot of energy. I don't golf or have hobbies. This is my, this is my passion and my hobby. This is a hands-on company here. Like I said, I approve every single transaction. It's amazing. Um, frankly, the more activity, the better. That's what keeps me going. If I get, don't like to be bored. And so... This is a this this company is going 24 7, 365. There's always something moving forward. Yep. And so we've worked hard to build this beautiful headquarters to create a work life balance. We're in five days a week. We're not uh, remote working. We're not two three days a week in the office. We're in five days a week. Um, hence, you see the gym in this office. You saw the coffee bar in this office, and all the different amenities. We want people to who want to be here, who want to work, who want to take their. Uh, another core value is we punch our own ticket here. There's no glass. There's no ceilings. Our CFO here started as an analyst. Our yeah. director of development here started as an analyst ten years ago. So you know, we it's opportunity driven. And yeah. So we, we want to provide those opportunities. We want people to go seize them.
when I looked at when I walked around your new headquarters, what I noticed is there's a line about love your team members and love your just in general and love your clients. It shows here about your team members, the coffee bar, the um, food brought in, and every in the the gym, and the rooms. I mean, it's unbelievable. When you walk in here, you feel like you know. I feel like I wanted to stay here, be here. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> that's the goal. It, well, and, and we're going to kick you out. Though. Yeah, I know. I'll be, I'll be out. It's, no, it's, we got like two minutes. But no, but that's the goal. but, but and, and and you guys do that and that and then you do it with your tenants, obviously too, by being very digital savvy and making stuff easy for your tenants. Um, going to a macro question: wh- Where do you think we're headed? Do you think we're headed towards a recession? Um, where do you think like interest? And then we're going to ask about interest rates. But where do you think we are? Um, or, or it may not matter but the, for your business, but... The, uh, there's a lot of pontificating. There's a lot of guessing going on. Today, I think, again, this is whether the Fed can engineer a soft landing. We have, you know, People forget we never pumped $5 trillion into an economy in a post-COVID, pre- during COVID world that had interest rates that were close to zero right. for years. Uh, we haven't had a recession since the GFC, since the great financial crisis. And so we're in unknown territory here. For me to sit here and pretend I know what's going to happen or make predictions, frankly, is, is above and beyond my capabilities. The most important thing we can do is maintain balance sheet flexibility, maintain that leverage profile, take advantage, and invest in retailers that no matter what the economic cycle or outcomes are, are going to be there. Again, we don't invest in luxury. We don't invest in experiential entertainment. That they're, that they're going to be here. It's anybody's guess. I've guessed lots of times I've been wrong. A couple of times I've been right. Interest rates being so high, how mm-hmm. does that affect this business? Does it change the financing structure? Um, the, you know? Yeah, I think it changes valuations. It changes financing structure. It eliminates competition for us. Private buyers today can't get loans. Let alone forget the interest rates. Just, just the regional bank availability of credit has ceased. Yeah. And so today, to get a loan, it's going to be you know, SOFR plus 500, and it's going to be 60% loan to value rather than SOFR plus, uh, well, SOFR was at a very different rate. Uh, it's going to be uh, being low interest rates, and it's going to be not going to be 85% loan to value. So you see transactions effectively ceasing, right? And so today, transactions are down probably 60%, if not more. There's different numbers across the board. 1031 transactions are down because of the lack of transactions on the front end. The availability of credit is limited and constricted. And then the cost of capital for everybody. And so what we're seeing is cap rates move up. And so we printed about $300 million in acquisitions for Q2 at cap rates, six, uh, what, six, seven, six, eight in Q2, which was called 60, 70 basis points higher than uh, the quarter a year ago. So what it does, though, is effectively some of the competition you'd have can't make, make deals. Most of it. Yeah. So most, are, most of the competition can't make deals. So, so even though rates are high, it doesn't put you guys in a bad spot. Um, and we, pre, we pre-equitized the balance sheet this year with $600 million in forward equity. We ended Q2 at 4.1 times level with five times fixed charge coverage yeah. with $1.3 billion in liquidity ready to take advantage of opportunities. But there are very few players today that have access and cost of capital to compete on high-quality net lease retail product, let alone any other asset And classes. that's why, like with interest rates high, I think you can take advantage of stocks if they sell off because interest rates high and they think, oh, it's, the competition is what's getting hurt, not you guys. And when the rates go lower, the stock you know, rises dramatically. Well, and the, the other piece of it, and I spoke to it on CNBC a few weeks ago, is that the general commercial real estate negative headlines, which were office-focused, 
and now have shifted to apartments in the last two weeks, get blended over all of real estate asset classes. And most investors aren't nuanced or frankly don't have the time to decipher between different commercial real estate asset classes. Agri Realty's performance, our portfolio's performance, has absolutely nothing to do with office occupancy in downtown Detroit, New York, Boston, Chicago, LA, or Miami. Yep. They're totally decorrelated. Right? We're sitting here in Royal Oak, Michigan. We own one, one office building. It's the one we own. Right? That has nothing to do with Walmart's performance or Tractor Supply's performance or TGX's performance yep. in the assets we own. Yep. And so you know, the general real estate investor, the generalist real estate and institutional investor gets scared of the headlines. Yeah, and Commercial real estate's in a free fall. No, we, there's no free fall going on here. We're not, we're not at 50% occupancy like these office buildings are, physical occupancy like these office buildings are that are going through. Now it's a, it's a liquidity crunch. Then it becomes a right. It becomes a cash flow crunch once leases start to roll. Right. But 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 investors today to spend that amount of time on it just frankly just just get get, get concerned and have fear. And that's why I was making the point. Your deals are tenants that are existing and you're and they're paying you during COVID. Did you have to give a lot of breaks for people that were closed? No, uh, we collected ninety nine percent of rent during COVID. That's unbelievable. And that's why we re we op- re, re reopened the REIT equity markets twice in three weeks to the tune of $600 million raised and went on the attack while everyone was trying to collect their rent. But during COVID, Walmart and Kroger and Best Buy and these stores had no problem. Dollar General, they were thriving. It's unbelievable. There's no challenge. And I don't think people realize that. It's unbelievable what you guys did in the last two or three years. So ARC really helped propel you for where you are today with your whole system and doing 400 deals a year. Is there more things in your head in the next six to eight, you don't have to say them, but in the next <laughs> six to 18 months, that profoundly changed the business like Arc did. I mean, if, if you like, if you did nothing, if you guys just, if you did nothing and went half the number of team members and just did nothing, your company would be still great. You'd be producing profit, but you're you're not a guy that that's like, not going like, to happen. You're yeah. you're a guy that's all about growth and finding the right balance of tenants and diversification. I've seen you do it over you know since you taken over as CEO. Two hundred million dollar market cap to or enterprise value to eight billion. I don't know. Those numbers are kind of insane. So. Is there some? Is there more stuff in your head that was like your arc innovation? You know, over the next two three years that you can't talk about now, but is there stuff like that that you think about? Like, hey, I wish I could have this built, and then we'll be at this level or this level because I I know you you know have high, high aspirations. Technology and the use of technology can do amazing things. Like I said, we're already using AI to abstract leases and eliminated positions there and repurposed, frankly, given other opportunities for those people who are abstracting leases. There are things that we're looking at that we're experimenting with technology to, to, to streamline and make our, our business more efficient at all times. Um, again, this is a massive fragmented space. It's a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar space. Um, anything that we can do to give our team a leg up and to make ourselves more efficient, trust me, we will explore. Um, so there are, I, to answer your question, yes. And you have the team members in your office. What about if you're like looking to expand the Southwest? Do you have people that live out there that work for you guys or they are here and then they do site visits or what have you? Here. They're here. here. I mean, we have, again, it's a portfolio of over 2,000 assets. So to try to cover the company. The beauty of net lease is you don't have the traditional asset management and leasing responsibilities, the high intense local responsibilities. And so today we're regionally broken out for the limited responsibilities that we have, but you don't need satellite offices. You don't need people across the country. This company is an eight plus billion dollar company with 75 full-time team members. 
So, I mean, I think that's, uh, you look at the revenue per employee, it's probably up there in the top five uh, in the entire New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, I mean, that's 75 with, probably are, it could be at Google level, who knows. With um, several hundred million dollars in revenue. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And at one time, New York Stock Exchange, I think you were the youngest CEO, is that right? I was second youngest to Mark Zuckerberg. Ah, okay. Well, hopefully you're not going to Distant get, second. Distant second. Well, hopefully you're not going to get in the ring with him, too, and start training for okay. jiu-jitsu. Uh, no, I'm not getting into the octagon. Okay. No. I think we covered everything. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys... He mentioned the site to see the white papers. AgriRealty.com to see them, learn them. Look at the tenant diversification. It's actually pretty incredible. I've looked at other REITs, um, and I haven't seen a REIT this diversified um, this quickly. So take a look at it. Thank you, Joey, for coming on the RAS Report. We appreciate it Thanks, and look forward to having you on again. Thanks, Chris. Thanks.